Hey everybody, Legs Malone here. How are you? I just realized, well, I didn't just realize, but it has been a really long time since I have posted a brand new episode. And for those of you who are just tuning in, I would like to think this is a weekly podcast, but I think the way that everything's going, I'm officially turning this into a monthly. (laughs) Of course, if we get more interviews uh, in for a weekly rhythm, then God bless it. That is exactly what we will do. However, life has a funny way of happening. And uh, yeah, it's been a very, it's been an amazing summer. Vegas was incredible. I have had the privilege and the honor of talking to so many wonderful people, including today's guest. And it's, it's it's a it's a very powerful time I feel uh, to figure out what exactly matters, what matters to me, what matters to you. Of course, the only person that can answer that question is the person wondering that about themselves, and that's exactly what I have been wondering about myself. And I love this podcast. I love performing. That is not going away. But I am working on creating some new projects in my daytime hours. So. I think for now it might make sense to turn the podcast into monthly, but you know what? I am not giving up on the whole weekly thing. I, that's a, that feels like a good rhythm, although Jesus Christ, anything weekly, weekly is a lot of work, especially for those of you who know what it's like to have, say, a weekly show or anything that requires you to produce content weekly. It builds up. Anyway, that whole... I, can I even call that an apology? I don't think so. It's just an explanation, put it that way. But I hope everyone is doing well. Today's episode is such a good one, and I actually was texting with Matt uh, a few weeks ago, and he was like, are you ever going to post that interview? And I said, you know what? Yes. Yes, I am. And today is that day. So my fabulous guest for today is the one and only Matthew Holtzclaw. Matt is an extraordinarily gifted magician and one of the kindest, most polite and just badass gentlemen I have ever met on the scene. And he came over many months ago and we had the most wonderful conversation. I have not actually listened to the conversation since we did it, but I do remember connecting with him afterwards and just commenting at what a beautiful interview it had been and what a effortless conversation. Matt is a consummate showman and um, I, I'd like to think that a much uh, less showy side of him comes out on this talk, but you'll be finding that out in just a minute. Thanks again to everybody who has been sending in the donations despite the total lack of fresh episodes going up. I actually want to give a huge shout out to our supporter, David. Uh, you know who you are, who actually just set up the first ever automatic debit. So thank you so much. Every month, David is going to be donating uh, to the podcast, and I just appreciate you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And to anyone else who feels moved to support this labor of love uh, by myself and my fabulous, fabulous producer, Mr. David Lawrence Bird, feel free to set up a weekly or a monthly regular donation, even if it's just a few dollars. Uh, All of your money will go to supporting and helping us build this podcast and hopefully even going back to weekly. Hey! (laughs) So thank you again for everyone sending us such fabulous energy. We love you so much and are so, so grateful for you. 
So without further ado, my dearest sweet listeners, go ahead, pull up a chair, make sure you are nice and comfortable and you have everything you need. Go ahead, pour yourself a cup of something good and get ready for a fantastic interview with the one and only Matthew Holtzclaw. Mr. Matthew Holtzclaw. Hello. <laughs> How are you? Doing very well. How are you? I'm very well. I'm so pleased that you're here today. Me too. Thank you so much for coming on and being a guest uh, on my podcast. I'm thrilled to do it. I've wanted to have you on my couch for years now. It's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while us talking about that. It's true. And not only is it finally happening, but it's happening on an actual like spring-feeling day. Oh, man. It's so nice outside. Finally. Yeah. We're recording this like early mid-March. I think it's March 11th today. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's 50 degrees out, yeah. which is nothing short of miraculous Yes, out after the winter we've had. It's a hellish winter. And this I, is, and it, I don't even know if it was just winter, but I feel like just the month of February. Mm. It was pretty bad. Oof. Every day was something you had to lean into, and yes. it was just unpleasant. Totally. And like, going to work, going to gigs, and you get there, and you have to be entertaining, but you've just slogged through, you know, just nastiest, you know, black snow and just, oh, disgusting. Totally. I mean, I, I do feel like all working people, like anybody who has to commute mm-hmm. and go to a desk job yes. and has to be there five days a week after this winter, and yeah. especially like parents or, you know, like stay-at-home moms who have to schlep and yeah. God forbid, like be stuck at home with the kids for however long. I mean, like that to me is a whole other level of like purple heart winter mm-hmm. activity. Yeah. But even for, you know, us performers, I mean, it's, you know, it was it, it was a gross winter, certainly during the day, but at night it just took on a whole other level of yeah. intensity. I've never had seasonal depression, but this is the first year where I really felt like, why do I feel sad? I mean, my life is charmed, and, and I have no reason to be miserable right now. And it was, it was I think it was just having come in out of the weather or, or knowing that I had to go out into it. Yeah, because that weighs yeah. on you. That's a, le- yeah. that's, a, that's, a, that's a special level of dread, mm-hmm. especially and, if you're sensitive to temperatures. And, you know, I, I say that, but I'm like, I, I'm putting on a suit and a tie and I'm carrying my little magic tricks and I'm walking by a garbage man who's working out in that weather or men working in the street, <sighs> uh, you know, doing street construction. And, and uh, then I feel really guilty about complaining at all because, <laughs> you know, it's it's such a... It's It's such a champagne problem. Oh, I have to go make people laugh and clap and, and, uh, you know, uh, be around really great people. And be paid for it. And be paid. They're going to pay me to do that. God damn it. What what a... Let me complain. (laughs) I will find something to complain about, clearly. (laughs) Well, I mean, speaking of your J-O-B, you are certainly... Very well known in New York City. I don't. Do you travel much outside the city? Quite a bit. Not for burlesque. I don't think I've ever done, ever done any burlesque uh, shows outside of New York City. I mean, even uh, only in New York City. Yeah. Uh, I take that back. I've actually gone off site with uh, James Habacker when the Slipper Room was not uh, rebuilt yet, and we went out to New Jersey. So okay, I've been to New Jersey, and <laughs> Under I've been the umbrella of burlesque. Yes, and out into Long Island. Uh, but that's it. That's all I've ever done. <laughs> but, uh, um, but I travel all the time for uh, you know the, the private events and corporate jobs that hire me. Um, I'm going to Vermont, Killington, Vermont, on oh, Saturday, wow. which I've never been. And, oh, uh, Killington's beautiful. Is it really? Oh, it's oh. gorgeous. Huge ski town. That's it's on a ski resort thing. So uh, I'm driving up there. Uh, but yeah, I do, I do a lot of travel. Um, again, I, I I think about. The you know doing burlesque out of, out of town, but I almost I almost never can. If if no, and I, no one's really asked me. 
well, there's that. There's also that. <laughs> I don't, and I don't really submit myself to anything, so oh. that's the other thing. So yeah. there might be a reason why I haven't. <laughs> two, <laughs> two major reasons. Well, I mean, you are you are extremely busy. I mean, for somebody who, because you both host and perform in burlesque shows here in the city, but then. You've got a company on the side yes. with a partner. I do. I have a company called The Artifice Group with uh, my business partner, Prakash Peru. And uh, we just uh, represent ourselves, re- represent a, a small selection of magicians here in the city and around the country uh, and around the, around the world, I guess. Uh, we just have a, we're pretty picky. I mean, magic is something that is it's really either really good or just flat out bad. You know, a, a trick is either fools you or it doesn't. And the guy either charms you or usually just bores the shit out of you or flat out kind of offends you with his arrogance so magic is something that we, we're if I'm a snob about anything it's about magic and mm-hmm. about magicians and I, I love it and I want it to be good and uh, so we, we, we've been picky about who we who we send out and uh, the company's been great we've, been, we've had it since 2008 oh wow and every year's been better than the last and uh, it, it's all my time is spent working with that yeah wow. so, so burlesque in a way is a is a is a regular, uh, sometimes two to three or four times a week vacation from that just to be around. Uh, you know, I think some of the most amazing people I've, I've ever met. You know, um, I studied theater and I was around actors and um, and that's a whole other world of nightmare. You know, and uh, <laughs> but burlesque it, it has all that need for expression and artistry, but um, they can actually do something. It's not just that they can memorize some dialogue and avoid the furniture. They can actually, you know, they, they can build the costumes. They can direct themselves. They do their, they, they, they create things from nothing. And they, they, they have a skill set usually. And it's, it's, it's amazing to be around, you know, I, I've, I've learned more and had more, uh, uh, inspiration for creativity being around burlesque people than any other group I've ever, I've ever met. I love it very I agree, much. I agree with that. I yeah. do feel that, we are a very special group of yeah. people. Very special group. Yeah. But speaking of special groups, I mean, you are a magician. Mm-hmm. And I will never forget talking oh, to somebody years ago. I want to say it was Nelson Lugo. But I, was, I made some comment like, oh, yeah, I think magicians are great. And he gave me a look. He's like, magicians are weirdos. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's all, almost exclusively men. Mm-hmm. And there's very little women in, ma- in magic. Why and is that? I don't know. Uh, I don't know if it's for the men to answer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I talked to it's funny. I talked to a great uh, female magician uh, recently, and uh, Belinda Sinclair, and she said, "Well, there's a lot of female magicians. We just don't call ourselves magicians." And uh, and I've taught. But here's the thing: I've taught. Uh, there's jokes about that. There's like, well, there's no female magicians because we burn them all, or there's no. Oh my god. Um, you know, there's jokes like that, which I think is actually might have some relevance. I think there's something about magic because it's so it wears its deception on its sleeve Mm. and women uh either don't want to be seen as deceptive or men don't want to see them as deceptive i don't know i I don't think again that i'm the one to answer it because i have students i have a lot of students and i've had an equal amount of of young uh boys and girls as students around 13 years old girls just lose interest just Mm. don't care about doing magic anymore my niece is uh She's going to be uh, eight soon, and she she loves magic. But I, I just said I kind of know that she's going to stop wanting to do it yeah. at some point. Um, it's the wanting to do it. They might still like it, but it's the wanting to do it that boys continue to do it. I think that for boys, it's this. 
I know that I got into magic, and I think there's a fascination with control in the sense that uh, what's broken can be restored, what's lost can be found. I think that's all the poetry of magic. Mm. And I think when you don't feel like you're in control as a kid, and you don't, or, you, or especially if you're an awkward kid, you're not like a, you're not necessarily the most confident kid. Uh, look, quarterbacks aren't often the guys doing magic. It's often, you know, the same kids who are really into science fiction and. Uh, fantasy and uh, drama club. Mm-hmm. Those are the kids who are into magic. And I think that for whatever reason, and it might be a sophistication on women's part, not just because I'm talking to a woman, I'm saying that I think that it there's a sense of women understanding that, oh, this isn't actual real power. This is not real. Boys are still interested in just the, the cleverness of gadgets and the cleverness mm-hmm. of getting away with something. And I think women sort of be interested in people a little sooner. Mm. Um, I don't know. I don't know why there's not. But they are weird. Go back to Nelson's point, and Nelson Lugo's fantastic, you know, performer here in the city, and uh, he uh, he's right. It's it's often these social misfits, and yeah. it's and it's, it's a sort sort of like aversion therapy that they're doing with this uh, doing things that you know. It's a lot of the problem with magic too is that it's both the easiest and hardest thing on earth. You can buy a trick that does it sell for you, push a button, or it, it just has a gimmick that does the thing for you, and you look like you're a magician, kind of, to people who don't know any better. Right. And there's tricks that take you your whole life to perform and, 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 and learn that are incredibly difficult, and they look the same to the audience, maybe. Yeah. So you can have people who don't have any skill or any sense of expression or any worldview or any artistic point of view, and they're working magicians. They mm-hmm. got the trick, they got business cards, now they're professionals. and. Yeah. And so you, there's a lot of hacks. There's a lot of hacks, and not that there isn't in every art form. It's just that those guys will still get hired. They'll they'll get booked and make a good living being you know shit artists. And uh, so yeah, it does have a lot of creeps in it. You yeah. know, it's the ones who say they. I have people that want to take lessons because they want to use this to meet women. And I often say like, if if you need a card trick to meet women, it's too late. You know, it's really, it's really too late if that's what you think is going to do it. You know, um, so yeah, he's he's right. There's yeah. a lot of a lot of goofballs. I think his exact words were, "What's wrong with you?" <laughs> I mean, while we were both like laughing a lot about it, I, I mean, I definitely have a soft spot in my heart for people who feel comfortable escaping into a performative way, especially mm. in like large social groups, like where. It, you know, there might be some insecurity there. There might be some, even some past like social traumas, like mm. being made fun of. Or, yes. You know, especially having like shit relationships or even abusive yes. relationships within a family, where it's like, oh, it's so much easier to like put this metaphorical or actual cape on mm-hmm. and thrill and wow a room yes. full of people, and I can disappear. And I, I joke and I make fun of, but really, look, it's it's the the worst magic trick is better than the best, you know. Abuse or self, you know, it's. I think it's, it's inherently wonderful. It's something that, again, uh, if if it helps you get through the day and it gives you a sense of joy to do this thing, it's when it's done in a cynical way. Like I'm going to try and meet uh, somebody via this. That's yeah. where I don't like it. But I no, I, there was a great show called The Elephant Room a few years ago. It was great uh, magician Steve Chiffo and two other guys put together, and it was just, it was a small magic club. That was the show. There was these three very awkward men. All awkward in their own ways, um, and it's a real magic show. There was really strong magic in it, but it was these three guys hanging out in their little magic club called the Elephant Room, and it was so beautiful because the point was, you, you, your first impulse is to laugh at these guys and ridicule them, all these nerds doing these stupid magic tricks. 
then you start getting fooled by them, and then you start to see that oh my god, this is a way for them to bond. So I, you know, I think magic clubs and and guys doing this for for fun because they they just enjoy the social aspect. That's why I go to burlesque. Is it's bowling night for me. You know, it's it's <laughs> I'm going to go and have a really wonderful time. And, and if someone doesn't get it, I have friends who've been to burlesque shows and they they don't get it. They don't get yeah. the point of it. I'm like, you don't need to. I get it. It's really good for me. I, I get a lot out of being around these people. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's my therapy. You know, it's the thought of not doing it anymore scares the hell out of me. You know. Well, that's the nice thing about magic. I mean, you could arguably keep doing it until. Yeah, it's it. You know, I, I have nightmares about my hands failing. You know, oh, or, or like not having dexterity anymore, or um. Do you crack your knuckles? I do, a little bit. Apparently, you know, yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm an avid knuckle cracker, yeah. and I just read uh, this research thing. It was like on BBC. They had this like video bit on their website about the conclusive results of people who crack their knuckles, and it, it doesn't give you arthritis, but apparently it does um, lead to losing your grip. Mm. So just FYI. Okay. For That's what it's worth. Good to know. For what it's worth. Good to know. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll monitor that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, you know, no, I, I, men in general, look, you know, it's just, it's uh, one of the crimes of being alive is, is that, you know, I'm, I'm bald and I've got gray in my beard starting up and it's only uh, been good for me as a, as, a, as a performer, I think. I mean, I Men don't... Men do well as they age. We I do. feel it's women have... I mean, yeah. I, I do hope that now more than ever, and I do feel this is this to be true, women are taking back their voices, being yes. like, we are valid and beautiful at all ages, yes. but society has yet to fully embrace that. Whereas men, it's like, yeah, look at him. Oh, he's got oh, some gray yeah. in his beard. That's you know. Right. Whereas if a woman shows up with, like, you know, salt and pepper hair, they're like, dude, why don't oh, you get your hair done? No, man, I, I tell you, like, uh, the older I get, I mean, I, I'm definitely attracted to my own age, always have been, sort of, you know, and... When I see a woman, it's all about commitment and do you own whatever it is you are. Oh, it's nothing absolutely. sexier than you, you know, totally embracing what's the, rea- the reality of the th- situation. And, uh, you know, I, when I started losing my hair, I had this minor, tiny crisis of like, you know, you don't recognize yourself in the mirror and you see, and you feel like you're dying. You know, you you look at yourself and you see scalp and you start to go, oh shit, my career's over. Mm-hmm. No one's gonna hire me. And like, and it did look pretty bad. I would be sweaty and like it'd be this like strands of hair matted against my head and it doesn't look good. So just all right, time to shave this off. And I I have not been to a barber since 2011. You know, wow. it's a and you're lucky you got a good head. And I got a, I got a decent shaped head. Thank goodness. You know, uh, and then you know, like I always always joke that you often grow a beard when you shave your head because it makes you feel like you're still alive. <laughs> you know, you're still vital. But, uh, you know, um, so I, I think uh, uh, when it comes to doing magic, yeah, yeah probably, it probably has a pretty long shelf life. I think it's the guys who are older and don't get hired as much, I think, are the ones who don't know what year it is. And are they're li- as Rachel, my wife, talks about, that they, they're still stuck in their heyday. Yeah. So they're still dressing exactly what like they did in, in their heyday, or they they uh, make jokes like they're still making Monica Lewinsky jokes, or oh you know God. what I mean. That's that exists. Those are, there wow. are guys who have not. They're still they, they put the needle down on the record and they just go on autopilot and they do the you know what I mean. And it's like I, I'm I'm scared to death of uh, uh, being that guy. I feel you're yeah. far too sensitive to ever allow that to happen. <laughs> I hope I stay sensitive because I mean one of the one of the uh, gifts. Of getting older is that you're you're not as quite as sensitive as at least for me. 
I'm not quite as affected by things as I used to be, which is such a blessing. Yeah. However, I think it could go to the point of numbness where I, uh, yeah, I might be this guy who, um, I don't know. I, I saw a few performers recently, these older guys, and, and they were just, God, it was really embarrassing and kind of like, mm. oh, I don't want to, please don't let me do that. Just keep me in check. Please, everybody, mm. let me know if I'm... I feel like, you know, especially, I mean, and this might be, I don't know if it's necessarily unique to men, but I do see it more so in older men than I do older women who perform. But the sense of like pride and being proud is like, oh, well, this worked for me. So this is what I'm going to do. And I've got this and I'm done. And Mm. to to be able to admit to oneself as a performer, as a creative individual to say, okay, well, this is a very vulnerable space for me because Mm. I'm suddenly realizing that what worked for me 20 years ago you know, that could use an update in a mm. big old way, but mm-hmm. to be able to look back on that and admit that to oneself, yeah. but then also say, like, maybe they feel like they don't have anything left, so they're clinging to the vestiges of what worked for them, yes. you know, two decades ago, right. or longer, right. or shorter. Um, you know, I think to be able to, you know, have to turn the mirror on yourself to say, like, okay, let's take a serious look at this. What can I create now? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, I mean, that's, that's a creative muscle mm-hmm. that a lo- I think a lot of people are terrified to flex because they're going to be like, but it's completely atrophied and I'm no good. And it's mm-hmm. like, no, 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 no. You, if you did it once, you can do it again. It's I, just going to take some courage. Again, it's that looking in the mirror and knowing. You know, <clears throat> my, I have a mentor, uh, uh, Jamie Ian Swiss, tremendous magician and uh, teacher. and He wrote a book called uh, Shattering Illusions, and it's a tremendous series of essays mm-hmm. about magic. And it doesn't really teach any tricks, but... Some of the best books on magic are the ones that don't teach any tricks. They teach theory. And he had a great thing about building a character on stage and knowing what kind of character uh, you would need to be or you know you should move toward. Is uh, he, he you know he says in the in the piece says look imagine that you're holding a TV at arm's length, tiny TV at arm's length, and it's a black and white TV, an old black and white TV, and on the screen is you. There's this person walking out. How is he dressed? How would that person looked best. And if, if he approached you at a table at a cocktail party or walked out on stage, what would engage you about him and his appearance and how and his voice and, and how he's, uh, the words he's saying? And he's, he's giving you an exercise in distancing yourself from yourself. That's, all, that's that whole thing. And I, I did that, you know, and I, I started to work on that. And, and he talks about, you know, get some friends to write down a few sentences, like how, just to describe you now. Mm-hmm. If they had to describe you, positive or negative, like what what are those things? Do that and let friends who are honest. And uh, I did that. I did those things. This is this is back when I was you know, 23 or so, and I, I I thought maybe living in New York, I saw professional magicians, and I thought that I th- I'm as good as these guys. I'm better than a few of these guys doing there, and they're professionals. I I could at least do this semi-professionally, make some money. But I had to think about all that, and I was a kid with like curly hair and clean shaven and uh you know i was very different very very different than i am now mm-hmm. um i like myself so much more now <laughs> you know at 30 almost 36 i i really do i like who i am quite a bit and it's not i, I hope it's not arrogance it's just that no i think it's honesty uh, and authenticity yeah. i mean yeah. getting more comfortable with yourself stepping into yeah. that and claiming like what you were saying like there's yeah. nothing sexier than a woman like really claiming right you know same thing for men i mean i think I, yeah. for any human being yes. it's sexy to be like hey I well, like this. Well, I can't wait for the next, uh, you know, physical setback that makes me have a major crisis because I've got a lot of confidence built up. That's really going to that, <laughs> that bubble when that breaks, man. It's going to be, it's going to be like a, a epic poem. 
<laughs> so Homer's got nothing, nothing on you. Got nothing Odyssey, on this, this tragedy. Jump change. <laughs> well, no, I, you know, I, I had this like weird, uh, you know, early. I'm not even midlife, but I had this early midlife crisis. <laughs> I think it was around the year that I, I shaved my head, and I just I was just not happy. I was mm-hmm. miserable all the time. But yet, I'm I'm doing what I love. I have amazing friends. I'm I'm in this incredible world of people, uh, burlesque and magic and you know, perform, real performers and show business, but I was just like, nothing was making me happy. And uh, I, I felt like it must be chemical. So I went to the doctor and said, do I need pills or therapy or something? I went, Maybe you do, but why don't you just work out? Why don't you, why don't you just start exercising? And let's try that. And I mean work out hard where you're like really sweating by the end of it and you're, you, you hate yourself and you need, to, <laughs> you need to do that first, like exhaust yourself. So I started doing that and almost within a week I was better. Wow. And it felt great, and wow. I, I know now that's my thing. I have to, I have to do that. And if I don't, you know, people say like, "What's wrong with you? You need, probably need to go to the gym, don't you? There's something wrong with you. Wow. you know, you're being an asshole." You know. Um, so that was my first kind of like, uh, what, "Who am I? And what's wrong with me? And what do I want to do with my life?" And now I'm just like so zen about all of it that I, I it's almost a, it is scary how 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 comfortable and happy I am. <laughs> I really am wondering, like, when is that going to happen again? Because it came out of nowhere last time. I'd like I'd like to offer the thought that it may just become deeper and mellower nah. over time. But, you know, it's funny. The, the, the art that I'm proudest of that I've written or performed or the stuff I made when I was most miserable, like, you know, like a just, just surly and pissed off or confused and I just, no, I need to express something. And I... And I and I get it out, and it's like this really raw, wonderful thing. And I, I, but I don't really, I don't, <clears throat> I don't know. I do create a lot of stuff lately. I've been, I've been working hard on new stuff, but it's, it's uh, not, none of it's coming from a place of like angst the way it used to. I, I think it's foreign to me to not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I definitely hear that. I mean, I, I have met a lot of people. I mean, both who are performers and not performers, who are so accustomed to creating out of a place of strife or mm-hmm. struggle. Yeah. And when that struggle's gone, they're like, "But where's that friction? Yeah. Where, how can I create anything?" It's like, "Well, that's the next level." You know, how do you create in times of peace? Yes. Yeah. And as opposed to waiting for or you know being totally dependent upon those moments of like crisis mm-hmm. or you know deep struggle or yeah. depression or whatever it is or like god forbid like some sort of emotional trauma like yeah. a breakup or a death or but you know that's the thing god is that forbid. life is going to give you plenty of crap <laughs> always a, out of nowhere yeah. with you know without you having to uh, seek it or manufacture it just so that you can write your next novel you know like i i, I know that it's just that it's just funny like um I, you know, people talk about when I come backstage that I'm typically pretty happy and, and kind because um, I, I really am happy to, I'm really happy to be there. And I'm, I, again, I, I've, I've had, you know, growing up was, was hard. I had a, you know, I, I hate, you know, people that harp on this. Maybe I do too, but I, my childhood kind of sucked. I had a hard, hard go. And, and I, I'd say the first 18 years were just not fun, you know. Mm. It, was just, it was just a lot of pain, and so mm. when I when I got away from that and started doing the things I actually wanted to do, and I and I took control of some things, uh, life has just been better every year. I mean, it's, and I can look at it like every year has been better than the last. Wow! And it's not been a dip; it's just been up. And uh, so I, you know, when That's I beautiful. it's it's I'm I'm very very uh, lucky, and it's not. I mean, it's a lot of hard work to to maintain undoubtedly, that. Undoubtedly, undoubtedly. But I know that the worst day of me doing card tricks for a living 
the worst day doing burlesque is better than like a lot of people's best days. You know, it, it really, really is. And I, and I constantly have that in the forefront of my mind, you know. Um, so I, I might come off as a bit Pollyanna at times or that I'm, you know, but I don't know, but my real, my real friends that know me, like I hung out with a bastard Keith the other day and we joke about that we are both these deeply neurotic, you know, <laughs> anxiety-ridden people. But in my most anxious, I'm still pretty, I think I'm probably happier than a lot of oh, people. Oh, yeah, and you yeah. are also extremely, I mean, when, whenever you're, because we perform together quite a bit at mm-hmm. Slipper Room, and you know, when you're there, you're such a force of calm and steady and, but balanced with like great humor and, you know, not taking anything too deeply. Oh. Like if the audience is super shitty, <laughs> you know, like you'll have a great line when you come off stage, be like those assholes, but you won't, <laughs> you won't take it out on the yeah. audience. Like, whereas I've seen some people really take it on the audience. It's like, Oh God, please stop. Please yeah, stop. Please stop. I don't think they're that... paying to watch you not to be beaten up by you emotionally. I think that uh, I had to learn uh, to not dump whatever's wrong with me onto the audience because uh, that happened a few times early on where I was, it was just, you know, I had a bad day or something was upsetting me and then someone said the wrong thing or they weren't paying attention or they were texting and I just like shit down their mouth and that's not very nice, you know, yeah. so I... Um, it's a fine line though. Yeah. It's yeah. a very fine line, I mean, with the audience interactions. I think you gotta let... Because you're also yeah. a human being. You might yeah. be having a really bad day. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and that, that could happen but I, I do think... You have to let them earn it. You know, the 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 audience. If you attack somebody too early, if you're too you know, comedians are too mean too early. Yeah. And if you don't let that person's being rude, let them earn it a bit more. Let let the audience tell them to shut up. Let yeah. the audience wish that they'd be quiet or wish that they'd behave, so that when you finally do, you know, you know, shut them down or you comment on it, you're now a hero. Yeah. Rather than if you do it too early, you're He's attacking one of us, you know. Yeah. It's a fine thing. It's a. It's. I watched. You know. I've, I went to. I saw Penn and Teller, who are my absolute favorite magic act of all time. I think um, they were my childhood heroes, and uh, they uh, did a show in Atlantic City, and I went to see them, and I think it was the worst audience I've ever seen in my life. And I mean, I it tops any audience I've seen. This was these were people not watching a show. They were yelling at each other. They were uh, talking to each other across the room. They were all drunk. They were yelling at the stage. And, uh, you know, Penn talks nonstop. Teller never speaks. They just did their show. They didn't comment on it once. They didn't engage with any of it. They just did their show. And it the, for the people watching like me, it was, I'm really glad they didn't. You know, and it, it taught me a lot to go that sometimes when you engage, I mean, this is a much more... It lowers the quality. It does. And, yeah. This is a formal theater setting, too. I mean, yeah. in, a, in a place like the Slipper Room, which is a it's a bar, and they almost expect interaction, you do have to, I think, acknowledge it at some point. But mm-hmm. they just did their theater show, and they, they you know, they have audience participation, but uh, they they just did it. And I asked them after. I, I, I'm friendly with them, and I, I went back in, in the dressing room, and I was like, why didn't you guys comment on it once? Like, oh, no, it slows the show down when you do that. And... That's absolutely true. 40 years of experience will teach you that, I guess. I, I don't have anything on that. I know. mean, I have to say, it's one of the things I feel... I mean, when I see an excellent host in action is when... Because it's such a delicate interaction with the mm-hmm. audience because it's like if you... I remember Kate Valentine saying... You she's know, incredible. She was amazing. She yeah. was one of my first guests on the podcast. Oh, she's like gosh, episode she's three or something. So funny. Um, and I remember her saying years ago that, you know... 
when you start to talk back to a heckler, you're actually handing them the mic mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, yes. and you're putting all of that attention onto them. Yeah. When as the host, you are the one guiding mm-hmm. the the boat of the show, yeah. and you know to you have to be very mindful about who you give that attention to. It can be a magical moment when Absolutely. you when you have that, but you know. I don't know. It, 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 like you said, it's so delicate, and it's, oh. uh, the, a good host, uh, a host can make or break a show, man. I mean, we've, we've, we've seen that. Because so. you host shows as well. I do. Um, I was hosting as myself there for a while. Uh, I, I haven't hosted as me in quite some time. Um, there's this character, uh, I the stripper character that I often just strip as uh, Stash Novak, like mustache. Is stash he Novak. like a, a cop from the seventies? It started out, so, okay, so it started out, st- we're going to talk about Stash Novak, um, I stripped, the as, myth. yes, the I, I, I stripped as myself a few times just as a as a joke, because I'm not a dancer by any stretch of the imagination, and um, it's just funny watching a man who's not in perfect shape, not really move that well, and I just... You know, ended up in business, black business socks and underwear is just funny to me. And <laughs> I stripped it myself, and, it got, and people got, got a re- great reaction. And people started talking about it. And then uh, Doc Wasabasco heard about it. So like, well, why don't we do something where you may have a character, like a, a stripper character? And I said, yeah, I would love to. Um, and they were doing a 70s-themed show. And it was like, well, it's like a 70s kind of, like a cop kind of guy and I said well I, I want to let's think of a name so we started texting back and forth and I said I don't want anything cute I don't want a pun I'd rather be just like a a name a theatrical name and we came up like cobbled together I think Stash Novak I think I, I said Stash and he said Novak and I was, okay that's, that's the, the music of that name is funny okay great and what the hell is this guy like so I shaved my beard down to a handlebar mustache and I got like a shitty sideburn wig and I, I went and bought a leisure suit, and you know, and he just was this guy with sunglasses who smokes and does karate and <laughs> dances a little too confidently <laughs> for his abilities. And uh, then that turned into hosting as him, and the, an accent that I can do very easily, as you know, to roll with is a I'm from the south, and uh, he slow he has slowly morphed into from a guy who's kind of suave and a cop to basically a. a an ex rent boy, currently a janitor with a mullet and a, and a, just a dirtier character. He's just dirtier now, okay. literally dirtier. dirtier you know? <laughs> I kind of also, I mean, I don't know if you've gone into Stash's early years, but I kind of wish that he he like used to be a quarterback. Like like he was like the champion quarterback <laughs> in high school, and like yeah. those are his glory years, and they're done now. It, he's yeah, he's stuck in something. I don't, I don't think again, he doesn't know what year it is. And he's based, I think, on a lot of like my stepdad's friends. I mean, mm. just these guys who just like do odd jobs and you know drink and do probably too many drugs and are you know just kind of kind of harmless, but probably maybe also not so harmless and um willfully stupid and you know yeah. so there's there's probably me dealing with some kind of I'm dealing with something yeah. from doing him you're channeling I'm, I'm exploring something that a part of myself but also a part of my history probably I don't know what the hell it is only, it's not that deep maybe but it's a uh, he uh, yeah he's he has a line when I host him that he's like you know I had a lot of jobs I've been a I've been a rodeo clown pastry chef fer- <laughs> Ferris wheel operator lab technician <laughs> Clearly a dancer, you know, and that's... Clearly a dancer. Clearly a seven years ballet, jazz, tap, modern, you know. 
<laughs> and uh, they just see me dance horribly for. And I have to say, I mean, you are very self-deprecating, but Jesus Christ, Stash Novak dancing on stage is hilarious. Thank you. And the audience loses their mind every single time. I think there is something very liberating, especially for, like, the straight guy. Yeah. Basically, you know, just getting upstairs, like, getting up on stage, rather, you know, sort of awkward white guy with, as you said, a little too much confidence. And I think that's the key, is that he he, he just thinks this is great. I'm, I'm giving this gift to everybody, and, like, you're very lucky to be here. And uh, and I like to, I, what, I, what I wanted to with hosting is I didn't want, I didn't want to be a mean character or one who's, uh, I wanted there to be this benevolence. Like, he's real happy, and God bless you, I'm glad you're here. And, like, you know, he's, he's sweet. But the next thing out of his mouth is some kind of disgusting thing about his hemorrhoid or, you know, that he's a... Uh, you know, hired by he's been in the past few years. He's been a gentleman of negotiable affections, <laughs> and uh, that uh, he's hired by several very wealthy women. Well, not so much women, but I've been hired. You know, travel the world, and oh so I, I wanted it to be this kind of that is hilarious. That he he is, and there's some, you know, this is common commonly said. And Bradford Scobie talks about this a lot. That there's things he can say as Richard Castle, which is by the oh, way, yeah. the most amazing damn thing on earth. Bradford Scobie is a goddamn genius. To watch Bradford work, to watch Bastard Keith work, to watch these guys who just have that rapid fire, quick draw, they they can just, no matter what the situation, they have this thing that just pours out of their mouth. And incredible characters, you know. And, uh, yeah, Bradford said, like, I, I, as as uh, Richard Castle, I can say things as Bradford Scobie, if I said them, I would be hanged, you yeah. know. Um, Where Richard I, Castle is a sort of, like, Slightly racist, yes. like still a little bit colonialist, yes. failed Shakespearean, yes. old Englishman actor type. Incredible. I mean, it's just such a perfect character. And all, every character he's ever done. With the, first, the first burlesque show I ever saw was at the Old Slipper Room, and we were just there at a bar. It was going to be a show, I guess. And there was a go-go dancer. We're like, this is interesting. And all of a sudden, a giant donut man walks out. <gasps> Dr. Donut! Dr. Donut. And it yes. just... That was... I mean, talk about like the, my life before and after something. Like, oh my god! I saw I that. Hear you loud and clear. And, it, and still, I, I remember a huge parts of him doing that. And I missed that character. I mean, Richard Castle. He just said that Richard Castle is Doctor Donut out of drag. You know, that's that's the nice. same kind of. They're basically the same voice. It's just one is dressed like an enormous, yeah. obnoxious and donut. And one costume is way more comfortable, apparently. So. Apparently, yeah. He says he, he will only do Dr. Donut in the winter. Yeah. Now, he will not go near it in the summertime because yeah. it is a huge costume. Yeah. Um, but he also just hasn't done it, period, yeah. in a while. He did it one Halloween, and we and we, we went to see We had to go see it. Oh, my God. And, uh, but then, like, Moisty the Snowman and then, like, yeah. uh, Co- Cousin Rooster and all these yeah, other... Yeah, Cousin Rooster. And um, there's one character he doesn't... He barely does anymore, uh, which is a clown. Um, oh, my God. What is his name? Kate used to hire him all the time for the va va room here in the sea. Like, the last time I saw it... Oh, Ukulele Louie. Mm. That's his name. Um, and he sings this song about how his funeral is also a buffet. <laughs> like, how people are just invited to eat his corpse. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like on a ukulele song, and anyway, it's um, Bradford. Like I totally hear like when there's the time before and after yeah, you witness yeah. something, a genius. And I say, I don't use that word lightly. Me neither. Uh, you know, a genius of that level. It's it's is it's unparalleled. Uh, it is, and it's one of those things where you know he saw me host a stash Novak, and he said some very nice things and gave me some great notes. And it was that thing of like, man, I you know, I, I don't, I really don't know how he does it, and it's. And the thing is, I do, I do know it's hard work. It's not like he just is, uh, 
you know, playing around. I mean, the guy works, and that's anybody that's good. I, I think genius is something that often really is just a, 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 a magical word people use when they don't realize that some, it's just a lot of hours yeah. working on something to make it good, to make it look easy, to make it look effortless, you know. And, uh, I mean, magic tricks, the, the best ones are the ones that, you know, there's a saying that in art, uh, you try to render the technique transparent. In magic, the technique has to be invisible, where you don't get a sense that the guy did anything. Huh. And that's why if it's a self-working thing that's easy, anyone could do that day with no practice and something that is really difficult, they can sometimes look the same and the audience doesn't get that there's... I, I do have this thing where I, I would like the audience to know that I'm doing something. You know, mm-hmm. I, I like them to know that I'm... And it's always a very fine line. I want them to know that it's me and not the props or not... Uh, I don't know. It's hard to explain. But I, when it comes to hosting, yeah, I mean... It's it's way harder than it looks. You know, I, I remember the first few times I hosted, I went, oh, right, you know, I, I probably should have uh, written some stuff. Um, yeah, don't just get up here and fart around. It's like you actually need to have to be prepared. The audience knows. Oh, yeah. And, and they can feel when you're just... They can, they're like sharks. Yeah. They can smell yeah. blood in the water. That's right. They, they you know, Kim Gordon of Sonic Youth said this great thing about... She said, I think people pay money to see someone believe in themselves. And I think that translates to... Uh, to take control, you know, how often That's do you, a it's a great quote. And it's, I mean, I, I think most people in their lives feel a little out of control. Like they're, they're, they're working so hard at something just to eat because yeah. they have to, you yeah. know, and it's, they're not in control of their own bodies. They're not in control of. The, or at least they're constantly told that they're not in control. That's right. Well, yeah. you know, getting older and, you know, uh, watching people get sick and die. I mean, it's just life is kind of a one thing after another watching things, that change. You change, you know. So, yeah. um, when you get to watch someone uh, give the illusion of control, or or, or just really be in control, it's, your, and it's, uh, it's the illusion of control over change. Yes, right, right. That nothing, nothing you throw at them matters. They they have they they can fire right back, you know. Yeah. And uh, that's a great feeling to be in the audience and, and to feel like you're in good hands. Yeah. You know, God, how many times do you see a host just? <sighs> You know, every time they walk out, you're like, "Oh shit, this person again." Why don't we just have a dancer who can, you know, uh, command us a bit more and and make us feel like we're on a we're taken? Yeah. You know, um, I don't know. I have that feeling too much. I think <laughs> when I watch a show, you know. Yeah. But not lately. I think I, but most shows I go to, there's Bradford Scobie just killing it every single time. You know. Yeah, there are definitely the the hosts and certain performers. Whereas if I'm in the audience, I know that I'm in good hands. Yeah. But, you know, and I think it's, I mean, even as a burlesque performer now, it is difficult for me to listen to music and not imagine an act mm. to it, which is, I mean, both a blessing and a curse. <laughs> I'm going to say heavier on the curse end of things. But it's just difficult to, like, like put on the radio and be like, oh, that's a great song. Yeah, yeah I want to dance. And I'd be like, ooh, I could be a, a giant, you know, I don't know, whatever, fucking cucumber in a field to yeah. the song. And yeah. it's like, oh, God, just shut the brain off. Like, let's just <laughs> listen and appreciate. And it's the same thing with a host, you know, who knows what they're doing. I like to liken it to, you know how newborn babies, they get, they like being swaddled tightly. Yes. They give, it gives them a feeling of security. Right. And 
it's as an audience member, I feel the same thing. Like if I don't feel secure mm-hmm. in the host, like I get antsy, I get uncomfortable. I will automatically check my phone. I'll go to the bathroom. Like mm. there's something for me that's very challenging to sit in that space of like watching somebody sort of like feel through their act. It's like, oh, oh god. Oh boy. It's, as a performer, I mean, I think I, mean, I think everyone feels that way. I think it's it, no matter if you're a performer or not. You just you know when someone has control of themselves and you and I. I I don't know. There's this wonderful give and take of of submit, submitting yourself to a performer, you know. And I, I, some of my favorite performers are um, Adam Gopnik. I wrote this piece. Uh, yeah, I'm quoting the New Yorker and Adam Gopnik. I'm being that guy. But there's yes, a you are. Hey, sorry. There's a <laughs> he talked about performers who impose themselves on the audience. And he's talking about. He, mm. I think he used Bob Dylan as an example of just someone who says like, "Now here I am, and this is what it's like, and I'm doing this with no shame. Here it is." And that's a oh boy, this if, and if it's a good act, holy crap, it's a great feeling to submit to that. Yeah. Oh boy, it's wonderful to just be taken, you know. So mm-hmm. when you when I was, it's funny you were talking about when you listen to music, do you when you hear a song, do you just get an image of something on stage that and then try to make sense of it? Or? Sometimes I I mean I know everybody has their own process, but for me sometimes I, and it, it varies. I mean sometimes I'll hear a song like I have this one hilarious song that's I think it's from the 70s and it's like a disco song sung by Dracula Mm. and I like I really want to do a disco Dracula act (laughs) I just need to find some backup dancers you Uh know it's like it's like I hear that I'm like oh my god yes that's an amazing song but then there are other songs where I hear them and I am entranced by the music or Mm. the beat and my body automatically wants to move a certain way Mm. and if I realize like it reaches the level it's like okay that's actually stage possible you know, to then create the costume around that. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, it's. I mean, but like, for instance, I have this one act, um, well, actually two acts that came to me like out of the blue where I listened, I loved this music and I listened to it for literally two or three years. Mm. And then suddenly it was like, boom, mm. oh my God, that's the act. Yeah. And it was like, boop, 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 boop. And there it yeah. was. Like my bug act. I don't know if you've ever oh, seen Oh God, that. it's so funny. I love that I act. listened to that song for literally two years Constantly, it was on my like commute playlist. And it, it just, I, I would listen to that song probably once or twice a day. And then it hits you one day, just a bug. And like... it literally, I was walking down the street, and I had just come from having my hair done, and my hairdresser was complaining about how the guy he was dating had just given him crabs. Oh God. And you know, we sort of laughed about it, and it's like, oh, you know, whatever. <laughs> oh, dating. And uh, and I was walking home. I was living at home at the time, and I was walking from the subway. And I was walking down the street, and I was like, oh, my God. I just suddenly, listening to the song and suddenly seeing how it plays out, I was just like, oh, my God, I have to do this act immediately. Mm-hmm. And for me, I'm hypersensitive to how music goes yes. and the musicality of an act. There's yeah. nothing. And, again, it comes back to the, like, you know, being held like a newborn. Like, if I see somebody playing, like, dancing to music where they are not inhabiting the music, I get restless. Mm. I get annoyed. It's like... There are all of these beautiful opportunities to more fully inhabit the yes, music yes. and whatever character you're playing on stage, and it's just like one missed opportunity mm. after another, and it's like, <sighs> yeah. And like my 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 intense inner judge can yeah, come out boy, and be I like, know. were you not listening to it? Like, did you not practice? Blah, 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 yeah. blah. And none of it. Oh, that is completely irrelevant. Yes. It has it has that has everything to do with my own bullshit and oh, nothing yeah. to do with the performer's but act that they're that putting forth. As a good performer, you, you can't help it. You can't absolutely help but watch. You know, and like I, I hear people get like 
really mad at this performer because they, they suck. They're not really good. I'm like, well, they might get good at one day. I'm like, no, they're bullshit. They shouldn't be doing it. And I was like, you know, it's... It's a, it's a it's a charmed life if we can sit and 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 uh, you know gripe about someone's performance because I, I do it constantly. I'm like oh, I can't stand watching that, especially with magic, um, with burlesque. I'm I'm so I feel so on the outside of it in some ways, and that I'm mostly a guy in a suit. And there's you know it's 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 becoming more in burlesque that I'm half the time I am in my underwear as this <laughs> other character, but uh, still it's I'm not as I don't feel like I'm quite the same vulnerable place as as what you guys do, you know, and that. Um, so I don't I don't I don't judge burlesque as, as harshly as I do magic, and I I'm much more I'm much deeper in that world. And uh, but th- again, the worst worst burlesque performance, the worst magic trick is better than the best rape and murder. You know, I Absolutely. think that's that's just the Everything's truth. Everything's relative. Everything's right? relative. So I just look at yeah, but it's still great. It's still great that. We're doing this, you know. I think, uh, I think, you know, burlesque is burlesque is so wonderful. It's it's the opposite of a burka, you know. It's the, <laughs> it's the you know, opposite of a burka. It's so absolutely at its at its shittiest. Better. It's better than so many other things. I like know? to think of it actually as an agent of enlightenment. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Because you know, like what you were saying. I mean, you know, the levels of vulnerability and how we are more vulnerable per se than other people. I think we're more exposed, but I don't, I've, I mean, there's one of my favorite affirmations, which is my vulnerability is my strength. Mm. And it's when people are feeling really vulnerable and they put up the fake front. That's mm. when people just see right through it. Yeah. And that's when it's like blood, sharks, water, etc. But when somebody can claim the vulnerability yeah. and own it, yeah. I mean, that, I mean, that to me is, that changes lives. I mean, I know yeah. burlesque changes lives just as, you know, to to have like a, you know, a young person in the audience to see an excellent magic mm. show. It's like, oh my God, it opens up a whole it other does. world of perception. But also, it's funny because magic is at its heart this display of power. I mean, it's, it's an experience, hopefully, of mystery, of I know there's a trick behind this. Yeah, I, just, I can't begin to imagine what it would be. I, I can't land on a safe explanation of it. Um, but it is a display of, like, I can do something. I can do this thing. And it's often a, I snap my fingers and it happens. And it's often a trivial power, you know. It's mm-hmm. that I moved coins from this hand to this hand. You know, and it's like, oh, you, you, you have magic and that's what you're doing with it. How interesting. You know, if, that, yeah. that, if that's the display of magic, then, wow, you've, you've really uh, sold yourself a bit short, you know. <laughs> like, But it... it uh, I've often thought about if in this display of power, how can I also have a vulnerability mm-hmm. that I'm a recognizable human being mm-hmm. and um, somebody who you know you know deals with the same garbage you deal with, and uh, or maybe things don't go just exactly well. You know, I, I like having tricks, especially in burlesque, when I, where I can um, have things go wrong or have things not be just so, or um, you know, I I end up in pain or you know. Uh, I, I, I don't see that enough in, in magic. And uh, it's almost like in juggling, when, like seeing someone work a little harder. They, maybe they drop it, but it's a good thing as you see like how hard this is to do. I don't, I don't know. I'm rambling a bit about that. No, 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 but I think it's really beautiful because, I mean, as performers, I mean, this is something I think about as performers, 
we are I mean I think it's very human beings love watching each other Mm -hmm. like babies love watching other babies Mm -hmm. and they're also fascinated by their own mirror reflections that's right and so there's something about being able to substantiate one's own experience in the perception of another Mm. having their own experience I mean I think that's a profound human interaction and communication even though it's not necessarily a direct conversation there is still something is shifting something is changing yes um and i feel that that's there's something really special and really magical about that but that being said i am also not an old jaded performer you know i mean i came into burlesque under very mystical circumstances Mm. so i've always paid attention and honored the real sort of magic and the spirituality of Mm. it for lack of a better term sure um but I also know, I mean, people have their own backgrounds. People are going to come into it yeah. with whatever they have. Um, I, I think that I've said uh, many times, I think that people, when I know for myself, I know for a fact, if I'm watching a performance, especially music, which I find so baffling. I find music to be... Oh, my God. Because I, I don't, I can't do almost anything with music. I, I It is so mysterious and beautiful to me. And I, I watch bands play together and kind of communicate through noise. And it just knocks me out. But I, I watch... People walk out on stage and I say, "Oh God, look at how different we are." Especially for non-performers to watch a performer like the fact that you're performing in public, speaking in public, or stripping something they would never ever do. They say, "Oh my God, we're different. Look how different we are." And then I think within a, I think less than a minute they start to look like, "Well, how are we? How are we the same?" They want to see the, the human being too, and I think that happens. I mean, I don't know how the hell you gauge that, but it's something where I th- I know that's the process of being an audience member. Yeah. It is for me anyway. There's the ma- it's the magic of live entertainment. Yeah, it really is, and it is. There's nothing like it. There is nothing nope. like it. And I I love the thought of uh, we all know like a bad audience can sometimes be swayed this way or that way by this one person in the audience laughing a lot and that laughter spreads. This one person talking too much and it. It, it distracts the rest of the people. Like one person can change a room. Yeah. One person can make it a good or bad audience, and it's it's so mysterious. And again, I don't know how what the scientific test would be to <laughs> gauge. It'd be interesting. Yeah. Well, mass I, spectrometers. Yeah. Right. Well, I do this regular gig, a uh, bathtub gin, which is uh, on Tuesday nights. I I do a show. It's a, it's a floor show and surrounded 360. It's dim. The microphone often doesn't work. It's a beautiful environment. It's a gorgeous speakeasy, velvety and textured and candlelit and just amazing. And uh, Wasabasco has a show there, and usually it's like five dancers. The last dancer takes a, a bath in this big brass tub, and there's water spraying everywhere. It's an amazing show, and the audience loves it. But they want me, the owners like me, to come up and do a like a five, six-minute long magic trick for the whole room. <clears throat> In the round. In the round, which is not good for magic, uh, at least the magic I do. And then they want me to mingle and do close-up. And the close-up is great. It, it kills. It's wonderful. It's intimate. I do that between the dancers. But uh, that five, six minutes up there in front of everybody is, I've been doing it for over two years. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. Wow. And on a good night, it's because everyone in the room, for whatever reason, has put their phones down, is watching me and listening and can't wait to see what I'm going to do. The majority of times, I am just pushing a boulder uphill and it's so impossible and it, it can just be it can be one table mm. not paying attention or one person at this one table not paying attention and it that uh you know indifference spreads. I mean I'd rather an audience actively vocally hate me than be indifferent. I mean give me something. 
that I can work with. I mean, my friend Nick Ratner talks about, you know, sometimes it's like playing handball against the curtains because, you know, <laughs> nothing coming back to you. You know, it's, it's, it's just a black hole. Indifference breaks my heart, you know. That's uh, probably the hardest thing about being a performer is, is facing that, you know, where nothing you do matters. Oh, God. I mean, that's sometimes how you feel in daily life. I do, I perform so that I feel like what I do does matter, damn it, you know. Mm, totally. So, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's, um, going back to what we were talking about slightly earlier, it's just this, um, I mean, magic has been around. I mean, illusionists, mm-hmm. prestidigitation has been around for centuries, yeah. if not millennia. And I learned years ago, I went to a lot of like mystery schooling and mm-hmm. like a lot of sort of alternate healing work, mm-hmm. studying. And there was one amazing woman named Emily Conrad who had created something called Continuum, which is an extraordinary um, body sort of breath, sound, dance, movement mm-hmm. thing. But she was explaining um, this scale. On one end, there is matter, like actual mm-hmm. physical stuff. On the other end, it is like nothing, atoms, ether, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term. And moving from ether to matter is manifestation, and moving from manifestation to ether is magic. Hmm. And so it's just moving along the same path mm. of either substantiation or in, or transubstantiation or, yeah. you know, whatever, just like moving into matter or out of matter. Yeah. And the fact that moving towards ether is magic. And even in like the tarot, there's the magician card, mm-hmm. which is the card of manifestation. It's calling in what's above yeah. to, you know, what's down. So I feel there's definitely, you know, in our in our mystical histories, magicians have played a huge archetypical oh, huge. role. Oh, huge. I think it affects daily life every day. I mean, I th- and I think not in always positive ways. I mean, there, sure. there, there, there's a Black magic... magicians. Yeah, well, there's a, a teller of Penn and Teller has this great definition of magic that I, you know, I, I do magic where I'm hiding crap in my hands. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm sneaking cards into places, I'm false fall shuffling, and it's, it's, it wears its deception outwardly and, it, and it, I think that's the beauty of Absolutely. the kind of magic I do is that I like that human adult irony that you know it's not real and you know I'm not uh, connecting with spirits or dealing with the metaphysics it's, it's just I'm I'm hiding things in my hands and I love I love the the base muddiness of that I love it I love nothing more than a ball in a cup and the cup covers the ball and the ball's gone I just it's just that you know how the hell did that work? But I know it's a trick, and yet I don't know. It's oh, it's a good feeling. But I'll say, uh, magic. Uh, it's it is you know, that joke of being the second oldest performing art. But it's uh, it's really really uh, like as, as soon as someone could recognize that, well, that eclipse happened last year mm. around this time. This year, I'm going to take credit for it. I'm going to take credit for the eclipse, mm. and I, I think that's going to give me an upper hand on on the village. And that's a cynical way to look at it. Um, that manipulation. That manipulation. But there's also just a beautiful ritual sense of um, this this rock vanishing. It's gone. That's your sickness vanishing. That's mm-hmm. it going away. And if that person feels that their sickness is gone, great. Maybe maybe in some psycho, uh, you know, uh, what do they call it? Um, I can't find the word when you're, you know, your thoughts can affect your your Like bond. psychokinesis? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> I'm just I'm like this is me being an idiot and can't think of a word. No, no, no. Anyway, no, it's a, um, it's it has this sense of symbolism of uh, 
breaking something and restoring it. Oh, like psychosomatic? Psychosomatic. Or? There yeah. you go. Thank you. Um, I'm going to break this stick, but then restore it. That oh, is, yeah. that, that says that, again, what's your leg healing or your or, or death is not permanent. That, that's, a, that's someone giving people some hope, I think. Or, but then there's, there's the negative of people believing that right now in, 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 in New Guinea that, you know, if you take an albino skin and skin an albino alive, the more pain they're in when you get their skin that's the more healing their blood will be for you. This is a real thing, and, and, and they have to, they're protecting albinos right now. They have camps where they try to keep them away from murderers. I mean, that's where, to go back to Teller's definition of my, the magic I do, is that it's the theatrical linking of a cause and an effect that has no basis in physical reality, but in our hearts ought to. That's beautiful. That's so beautiful to me. That, it, you know, but in our hearts ought to. And our hearts are not always um, right. So these people who want to you know, have virility and they think that a rhino horn will do it, that's a false cause for a desired effect. And I think that's hmm. where magical thinking can be harmful. And, and, and that's where, uh, with the positives of it, it's great, beautiful. If it, if it gets people through the day, that's a wonderful thing. It's, it's only good. It's when it trips over into something where... Um, hurting people and people oh, hurt people hurting themselves. Yeah. Uh, the the albino thing is the example I use the most. Just, I mean, look, ISIS they uh, they have a very skewed sense of cause and effect to a disgusting, deplorable way. Um, I think magic deals the magic I do deals with cause and effect in this harmless way, but also one that says that the most important thing a magic trick teaches you is that you can be fooled, and the nothing fools you more. Than yourself. Mm. I'm not really fooling you. I'm helping you fool yourself. That's what a good magic trick does. Is it helps the audience lie to themselves. Not lie to themselves, but it helps them deceive themselves. Because the lesson you learn is the one you teach yourself, and the lie that fools you is the one that you do to yourself. I really yeah. believe those two things. And um, I could be wrong about all this shit, legs. But thank you so much for no, Matt. To me this battle. has been so amazing. It's so funny because like, I had I had all of these plans and thoughts about what I wanted to ask you and this has been such a beautiful flow of a conversation and it's been so nice also I mean the fact that you do straddle two performative worlds being magic and burlesque and being able to speak about both fluently is a really it's a gorgeous thing to be able to interact yeah. with your knowledge on that. Well, magic I've been in for so long and I've, I've I do feel like I, I had to pay these dues to be um, a part of it and to have the fr I, I get to be friends with the best magicians alive and I, I I get to know these guys who who knew my heroes that I never met I only read about you know they were they were Di Vernon students or they 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 knew uh, Slidini and all these other guys that I was I've only known and seen video of and read their books but. I get to know the best in the world, and I get to be their friends, and I get to learn from them. I'm so I feel so fortunate, but at the same time, I I do feel like I earned it. And with burlesque, I don't know how the hell. I mean, I owe uh, I owe Nick Sin for seeing a picture of me pulling a thread out of my eyeball for saying, "Hey, what's your name? I would love to have you in my show." And he put me in Metal Mondays at the I Old Slipper Room. I remember Metal Mondays. I did the last one shortly before it closed. That was my one time at the Old Slipper Room on stage, and I'm that night I meet. Bastard Keith and Madame Rosebud. Holy shit. Who introduced me to Bonnie Dunn at La Scandal, where I met you. Mm -hmm. And from there, I met James Habecker the one time he hosted at uh, La Scandal. And then he 
book me at the slipper room. <laughs> you know, like I, I just get to meet these people and I feel so, uh, I was just, I, I used to go to the slipper room every week. That was my wow. other home. I loved being an audience member there. And so the idea that I perform and host there now is like, I, I every time is just heaven. And yeah. I, I, I just feel lucky because I get, again, I'm not someone who goes and performs in burlesque competitions. I'm not somebody who really, uh, hustles in that way. I just, I just always feel so lucky to know all of you. I and mean, you guys are just, the strongest, you know, inspiring people. I mean, I think the bravery of what the women in burlesque do and who they are, it's humbling. And, uh, and I, 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 I stay out of a lot of, uh, <laughs> I, I sit back and observe because I don't feel like what the hell do I have to offer? I mean, mm-hmm. I, the last thing we, I'm not sure everyone's dying to hear what the male perspective on burlesque is. I mean, let's please have the straight white male per, perspective on burlesque. Can we get that? <laughs> and so I, I just feel great to sit back and be a part of it, and 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 when I'm welcomed, it feels it's the best feeling on earth. I'm so so happy, and thank you for asking me to do this thing. Like, are you kidding you me? Know, thrilled. To I death. can't wait to have you back so we can talk about like, so where are you from? How did you get into magic? <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's had all, all the, like the beautiful like what uh, I what I yearn for in interviews like that all happened without having to. I so mean, you, you want I the, want to know about where you're from and everything. So the next but, one, you want to be a really sad conversation? So. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I will advise everybody to take some uh, antidepressants. Uh, yeah, be yeah. surrounded by tissues. Have <laughs> something to hug, even if it's just a pillow. Well, it's funny. Okay, the other night, <laughs> the other night I was hanging out with an incredible performer, uh, Penny Wren, mm-hmm. and her. She's amazing. She's she incredible. And we were in we her roommate. We were watching. Um, they had never seen Little Shop of Horrors, <gasps> which is one of my favorite movies. Oh, and God. it's a tremendous movie. And uh, and I hadn't seen it in many years. But as I'm watching, as it's starting to happen. I started to feel this kind of emotions well up, and I was like, I think this movie's one of those that, uh, one of the few that I kind of get emotional, and mm. they were like, it's so campy. I was like, yeah, but there's this song coming up where she sings about somewhere that's green, and the way she delivers it is the performer, and it's the images, and it's and it's silly, but it, for whatever reason, it's that sense of wanting to be somewhere else. Yeah. Not liking where you're at, not knowing how to get out of it, and yet, uh, and not seeing any any chance of ever leaving it. And how heartbreaking her voice cracks at the end as she sings it. And I started kind of crying a little bit. And, uh, and like, I'm not, I don't, I have no, I've never feel a fear of being emasculated or whatever that means. But I, it was a vulnerable moment of like, shit, when I saw this, I was a kid in a place that I hated. And I didn't seem like I'd ever leave it. I thought I would just stay in this one place the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And I would manage a Walmart. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I would live in a, I would live in an apartment complex. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I would probably one day drown myself in the retention pond of the apartment <laughs> complex. <laughs> I would just, I would just kind of wander out of my apartment, leave the door wide open, and just walk into the water. And uh, that's, I, you know, I, I just kind of saw myself not being happy because I, I wasn't happy then. And that that movie and that song hit me in a way, you know. So. Uh, I guess we're talking about it now, but uh, we can save it for next time. <laughs> Me being an unhappy kid doing card tricks in the mirror. I mean that. Oh my gosh! Yeah, no, I do definitely want to hear that. But you have a gig. I do. To to. I, have to, I love yes. it. You have it. I love that we're recording in the daytime, and you showed up with like your briefcase, yes. your wheelie. It's like, oh man, you got to work because you are a working man. I am a working man, but it's it's not. Like, I, I've had real jobs that are like labor. <laughs> Most of my jobs have been labor jobs that were not. Man, I think almost all. Yeah, I never had an office job. I never had a thinking job. It was all lift this, move, move this here, that, yeah. and uh, so this is like barely work. 
it's just it's just time consuming is all it is. And yeah. it's uh and it's has a bit of a stress of performance, but it's not work. It's just it's show business. It's the best jo- goddamn job on earth. I'm happier than I ever have been. So God bless it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love it. Now, um if people want to catch you in action, uh A, where can they find you? B, how can they find you online? Um my website is MatthewHoltzclaw.com. I guess they can spell it by looking at the podcast they're listening to. Correct. Um and uh that has a little calendar on there about where I'm at. It's usually one of I'm usually at the Slipper Room or Bathtub Gin. Those are my most regular gigs that are for the public. Mm-hmm. Um, occasionally, I do a lot of fundraisers, uh, and usually those are full of rich people who spent ten thousand dollars on a plate to be there, and it's for a good cause, but it's also a sh- social thing for them, I think. And yeah. um, those are public too, but I mean, I'm mostly hired for private events, so it's uh, it's a shame that my, most of my friends have never seen me do anything that's. I, mean, I don't think the magic I do on stage um, or, or in burlesque is, is the strongest magic that I do. I think the strongest mm-hmm. magic I do is when I might cross a table from you and it's intimate and it's captive yeah. and I'm not fighting the bachelorette party for attention. You know, uh, it's magic to me has to be really close up and it has to be in a place where you know the boundaries. And I think a stage, you don't really know what I can get away with or not up there. So uh, anyway, if you want to see me do, you know, magic where I, I swear and I, um, Sometimes ends up end up pantsless. Then please <laughs> please come to Slipper Room or Bathtub Gin. Those are the two places. And your calendar is on your website. Yes, it is. Amazing. Yeah. Um, Matthew Holdsclaw, thank you so much. Thank you, Legs Malone. I just you're the best. You are. No, you are. No, okay. I, I am. <laughs> <laughs> and there you have it, folks. My interview with the one and only Matthew Holdsclaw. To find out more about Matt and see where you can catch him next, do please go to his website, MatthewHaltzclaw.com. And until the next time we post an episode, be well, be safe, take good care of you, and have a lovely week or month or year, or however long that is. Lots of love, everybody. Bye. <laughs>